This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I am here with Alice. Hi, Alice. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Annie. How are you going? I'm doing really good. I love your fireplace. That is the coolest looking thing I think I've ever seen. Oh, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a crazy looking thing. I had a, a local blacksmith make that, but um, it's, it's winter here in Tasmania. So it's cold <laughs> beautiful cold and early morning so <laughs> awesome so why don't you just take us kind of back to the beginning um in your journey where did where did it all start for you with alcohol um yeah well I um as I just mentioned I grew up in Tasmania by by the seaside it was really uh, idyllic um and I I picked up a tennis racket when I was eight so that became my life I'm, I'm one of five kids and um yeah, this, this beautiful upbringing. But at the same time, I guess I, I was, um, we all went to the local Catholic school and, and I thought I was like every other kid. I was in love with my PE teacher. I had no idea what gay meant or anything. Um, but I found out very quickly in high school and, and just through that uh, silent Catholic way that, that it was very wrong. Um, so yeah, as, as much as it was a, a beautiful upbringing, there was that part of me that I thought, um, I think it was the 1990s because I've just turned 40 and it was still illegal to be to be gay in Australia or in Tasmania anyway. Wow. So it, it was not a very fashionable thing to be open about that. So I had a, a wonderful circle of friends. I was never bullied or anything, but I just chose that identity of, um, you know, I, I did easily quite well at, you know, well at school. I was a tennis player. I, you know, I saw the, the gay boys being bashed up. I thought that doesn't look very, very nice. So at about 15, uh, and I, you know, no drinkers in my family, um, I'm, I'm the, <laughs> the random one. So um, when I was given this sugary, I think it was a sub-zero, it was the, the drink to have when you're a teenager and we hid it in the bushes before a, a 16th birthday. And when I discovered that, I was like, oh, it was the first time I felt normal. I thought, um, I, you know, if, if I had to kiss boys that night at the, the party, it was a a hell of a lot easier to do that um, numb. Uh, yeah, so that became, and in those early years, it, it was fun. You know, I should have noticed, you know, I, I took it a lot further than others. I remember, you know, uh, drinking in those early days. I, I, the first time I fell off the chair and I was like, how did that happen? But there was that euphoric feeling of, of freedom and, and the first time that I felt I could, I could be who I wanted to be. So it was really just that progressive by the time I turned, um, just after my 18th birthday, I went to the, um, the US on a tennis scholarship. So it was a big shift from a tiny town in Australia to suddenly being in North Carolina. Um, I still remember pulling out in the Cadillac in the back seat of my tennis coach's car and on the wrong side of the road. And I thought, where am I? This is, this is a bit beyond what I imagined. Um, and again, my drinking at that time was... It was still in the background. We didn't really have time playing tennis three hours a day to be partying too much, but I certainly learnt how to drink in the, the college way, and that was fun. It just came in a red cup as opposed to a, a sub-zero bottle. Um, but it wasn't until I got back to Australia that it, it really took a, a turn for I, I struggled to get back into life in, in my own country. I kind of think all my friends and my life would be as I left it, and it wasn't. Um, yeah, and then, then my drinking, as people started to, uh, you know, realise that they didn't, didn't like being around drinking, Alice, it kind of went underground. I, I began to just hide it. So I drink before I went out. And people used to just think, gee, she can't even have one glass of wine. But meanwhile, I'd had a bottle of wine before I, before I drank. So then, yeah, so then that became this, this uh, 
adventure of rehab. So um, one after the other. So um, yeah, it's been an interesting story because I managed to, um, you know, keep up the appearances. I had a, a wonderful job as a, a travel writer for our tourism TAS, our government organisation. I was able to, you know, author books and do all these things, but the people close to me knew that I was just treading water. So, and it really wasn't until I came across the Hello Sunday Morning um, with Chris Rain that I finally thought, wow, this is, this is the pathway I want, something that's positive and pulls me forward. Um, and on his website, I came across Annie Grace and This Naked Mind. And so after a 20-year battle, um, and we can go into more of that later, but that was my pathway to finally one that I knew would, would bring me true freedom. So then that was after, sadly, uh, 26 trips to rehab. So I knew the 27th, <laughs> I, didn't, I knew the 27th wasn't going to be a fix. It was just... I. Uh, you know, you don't take a car to a mechanic 26 times and expect the 27th to, to sort it. Um, and perhaps I wasn't ready to get better, but I started to see, you know, I'd go there and be all the same faces. I was thinking, no one's getting better. Right. Um, and just reading your book and, and focusing on those beliefs and, and the, what was driving it, which was really just a sense of feeling not enough from that childhood of being told I wasn't enough. Um, which was exactly the driver that was leading me to to the bottle to to feel to feel enough. So you know that was my catalyst for real real change. So that's it in a in a two minute version. <laughs> wow wow. All right. Well let's let's dig into the longer stuff. Um, so you know in terms of your journey around, it's interesting. I think that when somebody has a lot of anxiety and then they have their first drink at a young age. It is. It does feel exactly how you described. Just like, oh, where this is, where has this been? This finally feels like normal. This is so good. You know, alternatively, when somebody doesn't have as much anxiety, that first drink doesn't feel all that great at all. And so I think that that was my journey. But it, I still got to the same place. It just took a lot longer because it wasn't that sort of first drink, right? And and that's one of the things that I find so interesting about alcohol and so misunderstood in our culture is the fact that like all roads go to the same way. But we don't think that. We think that only certain people and this small percentage of the population they're headed down that track but I'm fine and I'm normal and all that sorts of stuff so I just think that's that's so interesting how different experiences with the first drink they all we all I mean every person I I talk to on this podcast has a different experience with their first drink and some people they didn't even like it some people they you know it was like wow this is the best thing I've ever ever had and but they all end up you know kind of at the same place which is just fascinating but um, tell tell us a little bit more about like I am I am just kind of you know personally fascinated about twenty six times in rehab and and what that even looks like and you know if, if you don't mind sharing more about it I'd love to understand I've never walked in a rehab center I I don't know much about it at all yeah I, I don't know if I hold some kind of record and it wasn't until um, two thousand and nineteen and I'll you know, the very last time I walked out of one. Um, that I curiously rang up because I knew I'd been a lot of times, but I thought maybe they'll tell me 10 and that would be embarrassing. Um, I've been to three different, three, four different places and I rang each one and said, oh, can you please let me know how many admissions I've had? And the first one said 14. I was like, oh, okay. And I was a bit embarrassed with the receptionist. And then I rang the next one and they said 10. I was like, oh, that's a, it's getting up there. Um, but really, my journey with it, I think I, I remember 2008 was the first time I went. And again, I, I, I had this, even though my drinking was causing me some pretty, you know, I'd fallen off a balcony accidentally trying to climb into my house and some pretty nasty accidents, but I still didn't really see it as this thing that was really quite frightening in that what... Um, you know, and people have asked me, gosh, do, do you want to end your life? The way you drink is, and I said, never, I love my life. It was just that my drinking the behaviours could have led to any kind of tragedy. So I never really acknowledged the, the risk that I was putting myself in. So when, uh, and every single one of those admissions was on the advice and encouragement of my loving family and friends. And I remember that first time uh, you know, my best, my best friend at the time, she gave me a little ring to wear. And when I walked in, I was like, well, how did this happen? Like, this isn't where I belong. This isn't, this isn't my story. Um, it was so foreign. And being a writer, I, I was kind of fascinated. I, suddenly I was with these people and some were rocking and some were, had cuts up their arms and some were, you know, I wasn't really part of the in-group because I wasn't a smoker that would smoke out in their little hut. 
um, everything was foreign. I couldn't exercise having been, I had to run around the, the fence line like a caged rat. Everything about it was um, unfamiliar and, and felt very unnatural. But because in Australia and like anywhere, I was told that was my pathway to wellness. I, you know, I sat in the, the CBT groups and the mindfulness groups chewing on a date and seeing how it felt. I was very unfamiliar with what the techniques really meant, but I also wasn't ready to embrace it. It just felt, you know, I think that first time was a couple of weeks. Um, but then it just became normal. Oh, she's got to go to rehab again. Um, and, I'd, and I would end up seeing the same people and become friends with people. Some of the people in there, as far as, um, you know, mental health nurses, some were absolutely brilliant and I got a lot of value. But ultimately, I felt like it was a holding space that kept me safe, but didn't, didn't get me well. Um, yeah, so, you know, and, and I think it wasn't until later um, when I got the help that I really needed, it, it wasn't even about the alcohol. It was about dealing with those underlying. Um, so I spent a lot of years just putting a Band-Aid on, you know, learning from getting advice of if you want to stop drinking, put the drink further away from you or mix it up with a glass of water in between and great tips, but they weren't actually addressing anything as far as what was leading me to every single drinking session yeah yeah absolutely and and would they have would they work at all was there any success after you got out well there were at times like it would sometimes just put me back you know having been derailed and it would be enough time to get my head straight and I was lucky I never really got um the shakes or any of the horrible things I'd get a, a shocking headache that would last a day or two and then I'd be pretty much right but it, it gave me the chance to get a clear head and then you know sometimes I had a stretch of nine months another stretch of five months um, but in saying that, there were other times where I'd go straight from rehab uh, to the bottle shop <laughs> after spending two or three weeks getting all this, this help. Um, there were times when, in fact, one, one admission, three doors down, was as a patient, was one of my past psychologists, and that was hard to, to deal with. And I smuggled in alcohol during that admission um, and ended up jumping the fence. There was nothing about rehab that, that matched uh, or, or there was never one time that I thought, gee, this has helped me. I'm right to go now. It was very much. a, And I think it was also the fact that I only went to, I guess, appease my family and so that they could have take the pressure off. Um, because when I was drinking, I, I was a drinker where I didn't really know what I was doing once. So because I drank in secret and drank very fast, I'd go from, you know, sober to a bottle and a half and, I wouldn't remember beyond that. So I'd be drinking and not even realising how much I was having. So, um, yeah, a, a very bad drinking cycle, but very much binge. I could be, it's like polar opposites. I could be sober, normal Alice, and then next I'd be into one of my, my drinking scenarios that are, are pretty frightening. Mm, wow. Hmm. Do you, do you remember, like, what was the, and I understand that you were not necessarily there from your own, um, volition. So it, it felt sort of pushed upon you, but do you, do you remember, was there like a method to the madness in, in the experience? They um, have a plan for you or? Yeah, there, there definitely were. And, and some were better than others. If I got, you know, a, a great doctor and great, you know, people that, you know, some really committed to me to the point where, you know, I, I think I broke rules by, jumping fences and things and they still let me in because they believed they could see there was potential that I could get well um, and and some of those you know I guess times with with people that really believed gave me great you know a great way forward but I think I still wasn't wasn't ready to let alcohol go completely and yeah so as much as um you know and that's what I say too I'm not not anti the rehab model or the or AA I've tried that a number of times but i also had real a real struggle with going in there and saying I'm Alice I'm an alcoholic I, the, even the labeling it wasn't a, a case of denial it was more a case of why do I just have to have this label forever um you know that, that doesn't make me doesn't give me a future to wellness you know I'd sit in there in these tiny dingy I remember the first time I went was out the back of a church in this horrible little room with a radiator and a bunch of elderly men creepy men and I, the times that I went I thought why this I wish I was in a yoga class with around healthy, positive, like-minded people. This isn't, I, I don't see this as going to be my way. Like there was a lot of things I loved about it. The, you know, the having the peer support and having, you know, that that collective group 
of, of real humans in a room as opposed to, you know, it's challenging sometimes online. Um, but ultimately, I, I didn't find, um, you know, when Hello Sunday Morning came along with all its positive imagery and surfing, you get up in the morning and you can go out for breakfast with your friends. That That's what pulled me forward as opposed to the fear factor of you have one sip, you know, one day at a time, you know, you'll get hit by a train. Um, yeah. Some people believe in that, you know, I've had enough rock bottoms to, you know, surely that's going to be my moment of waking up in a gutter or whatever it might be. But that was never what pulled me out of it, that complete fear of, gee, this is the end of the road. It was very much I've been someone that is pulled towards a, a, a better future, um, which is what I loved about This Naked Mind. And when I first, I'll never forget listening to your book on Audible the first time. I remember exactly where I was and I was like, this is me, this is me. And, and it was the, yeah, that, that very first moment of, okay, this is a path forward. And then I did the, the intensive program and I did the, you know, the, the alcohol experiments. And I feel like I wasn't alone then because I, I was pushed so many times down a path that you're doing the right thing, darling. You know, my mum and dad would send me off and it'd be another birthday in rehab or another New Year's. I remember talking live on ABC radio about where to watch the fireworks. Um, and, I, and they're like, where are you going to watch your fireworks tonight? And I thought, well, from room 321 of the mental oh. hospital. It was, um, I lived very much a double life. So mm -hmm. to then find people that were like-minded that wanted to be free from alcohol um, and, and finding a, a pathway forward that, and wasn't just, wasn't just, uh, was actually enjoyable. That's the other thing, you know, um, with, with Hello Sunday Morning, Chris Rain came down to Tasmania to do a talk and I took him to CrossFit and we had fun and, you know, he's been down to Tassie since. And, and I think this journey doesn't have to be all about hard work and, do, that's the other big thing you taught me that you, you can choose not to drink and it, it's um it doesn't have to be that you're missing out you're actually you know you don't have to drink anymore those words I'll never forget because it's not just a oh, I, there's plenty of times when we'd have big festivals down here and I'm poor me I don't get to drink how am I going to see the light show in the same excited way I normally would um whereas now I feel I've got the freedom another thing you, you said about I used to think, well, I don't want to have to have this rules or, or feel like I'm, I'm the only one not allowed to drink. And you said the real freedom was when you stopped drinking. So um, as opposed to feeling like, um, yeah, yeah, being, being without alcohol was going to be the, the lonely path where, with no social life and, you know, everything that a, a former drinker fears that won't be able to have fun anymore because I always alcoholic will fun, which was another a furphy. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I think we all go on on this journey and the journey kind of looks like we realize, yeah, I think this is a problem. But in that moment, the biggest fear we actually have is that we will have to stop drinking. That mm. literally is the most pervasive fear in that moment that we realize it's a problem. And then eventually, you know, with enough starts and stops and cycles, you know, the biggest fear we have becomes I'm not going to be able to stop drinking. I'd sort of do anything to stop drinking at this point, but I, I'm not going to be able to. And it's it's just so interesting how that how that changes. And unfortunately, I think things like rehab are only created for people who have reached that. I am so afraid that I won't be able to stop drinking because things have progressed so far. And you know, not necessarily speaking to people who are like, yeah, well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to stop drinking. Like that that's my biggest fear right now. And what I love about Hello Sunday Morning is that he's really backed up the conversation, you know, to a, to an earlier stage of questioning. So we can be free to question our relationship with alcohol kind of all along the spectrum from if you're drinking just a little too much on occasion, or if, if, you know, everybody else thinks you're fine, but you don't actually feel fine, you know, all the stages in between, which I think is so cool. Mm, mm, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I spent a lot of years just going, you know, I'd see a psychologist and, and all those rehab admissions, uh, and I was fearful of, oh, gosh, I couldn't imagine a future where I'd just, you know, never drink again. That that just sounds, that is terrifying to me. Um, but all those years of and spending all that money, and I, my psychologist is wonderful, but I I remember she, we, we laugh about it now. I said in my first session, I said, I don't, don't need to talk about my childhood. That was wonderful. I don't need to, let's not go anywhere there. I just need to sort my alcohol. Can you do that for me? And I'll move on. You know, it was many, many years later that I even said, you know, cause I didn't tell anyone that I was gay till I was 26. I held that secret in. 
Um, and I, that was my biggest fear of anyone ever knowing that. And the biggest problem in my life and not realising that, you know, when I finally did pe tell people, they're like, oh, no big deal. Have you been drinking all this time about that? Um, whereas alcohol then became my biggest problem. It was nothing to do with, you know, society had come a long way and it was just completely about how I, I felt about myself. Um, you know, it, it's, and I guess at that point, people thought, well, great, now she'll be fixed. Like, you know, doesn't need to worry. She's got that out of her. Um, we all love her. She can move on. But because it was such a habitual, um, and I think the psychologist said, you, she said, you're not an alcoholic, but you drink to cope with negative emotions. And yes, you know, that part of me that I, I hated about myself, alcohol filled that wonderful void. But then I started to use alcohol for everything. You know, if I'd had some difficult thing that happened, you go to alcohol. If I had a book launch coming up, you know, in front of a crowd of 300 people, I'm going to drink to cope with that. Uh, yeah, never worked. In fact, the last one, I dropped the speech in the toilet while I was drinking wine before I had to give it. Never ever was the scenario, but funnily enough, the rational mind never goes back uh, and, and checks checks on those past. Until I started doing your app technique, that's been really helpful uh, to remind remind myself of, um, yeah, when, last, when was the last time alcohol was actually fun for you? Mm. Or the run the tape forward, because my drinking was, I'll go straight to the bottle shop before I actually question, what's this gonna be like if you wake up in hospital? That's That's not a fun scenario. So actually, you know, I've, I've spent years with these rehabs and having these great tools. I've got, you know, a tool belt so full, but I never use them. Whereas with your, your strategies and techniques, I've actually put them into place finally and, and seen the, the real benefit because I was like a, a teenager in so many ways, like a, oh, there's, there's going to be no repercussions. I'm just going to go and, you know, I'm going to have fun. I never look beyond that moment of getting that first drink into me and feeling that euphoric, ah, oh, I can just be me now. Um, but it was very much examining those underlying beliefs that I, I really did believe I'll be a much better version of me if I drink and mm -hmm. I'll be far more sociable or I'll be much more fun to be around. Never did I question them because I just believed them like, yeah, like the blue sky. So it wasn't until I actually challenged them that I thought, you're just... Uh, these are just made up stories that somehow, so, you know, I, I think, as you said, you can be so good in every other area of your life. And then you just keep believing these ridiculous things that keep the behavior going. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it wasn't until I actually got, it felt like finally to the core of being honest with myself and knowing that I didn't ever like the taste of alcohol. I didn't like anything about it aside from what I believed it could do for me. Um, yeah, I've never been, you know, my whole work was uh, uh, around whiskey. We've got 60 whiskey distilleries here. I have to go to openings. I have to, I don't even like alcohol. I hate it. I grew up sitting on dad's knee, sipping beer just for fun because it was a way of, you know, showing our, our shared love for each other. Never liked the taste, never liked all the things that people say about alcohol. I, I find it, you know, it's disgusting poison that they've got to put something in to make it taste a bit better. Um, but unfortunately, in my industry, um, I'm never going to be anti-alcohol forever or one of those people that tries to uh, tell others not to drink. I think it's nice if people can enjoy it. Gosh, I wish I could be one of them. But um, yeah, at the same time, I just think, what is the point of it all? It's all wrapped up in this brilliant marketing. Um, and, and slowly, I mean, for me, it, it, it nearly killed me. So I, I have just more recently found it very challenging to be promoting something that is causing such havoc. I mean, in Australia last year, we spent two billion more on alcohol than the year before. And we can't, you know, in all these lockdowns, the essential services, food, and then the bottle shops. Like, how, how can that be when, you know, there's all these other, other issues that come with it? Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I think what you're describing is just like, you know, so many people drink for so many different reasons. And when you just drink, because society has told you like, this is what this stuff does. And then, you know, your experiences confirm it to some extent. Um, and those are just like substance related reasons, like what, what the actual substance does in your body. And then a lot of people drink to fit in, you know, they drink for society related reasons of, you know, whether it's being 
with your partner or whether it's being in a group of people and there's so much societal pressure around it. But what you're really describing is drinking, you know, for self-related reasons, you know, reasons of just being, and, and I'm sure that, you know, <laughs> literally having who you are be illegal in the country <laughs> you live in, like that's traumatic at a really deep level and it can't help but leave lasting effects. And so in, in, until you've moved through that journey and that, and that healing, it, it doesn't matter if you don't even like it, you're still going to turn to it because you haven't healed that part of yourself. Mm. Yeah. And it does. I mean, that challenged me for so long because I thought, look, society's caught up, you know, we can get married, we can everything, but um, I, I couldn't, it, it took, because I was always just do the right thing. I was a little pleaser that even today, I think I can't picture myself ever being married because it was so beaten into me that that that's just not, you know, you've got to shut down that part of yourself. So to me, and I think it was in one of the, that hedonic threshold or other things that I've watched a video that you put put up and I can't remember what, what one that was, but it was just the first time I felt normal and able to be, to be myself when I took that first sip. Um, and they, they said just, and it was fun those early years, but then it just became, whoa, it was, it became the biggest problem. So yeah, it's a, it's been an interesting journey in that way. Yeah, certainly <laughs> not nice to think that it was illegal. And I've often thought, gee, you know, even this, the, the, the Catholic, um, you know, I've had a friend here who's a, a lawyer and his brother, he was fine, but the, the younger brother was abused by a priest and, you know, he's a lawyer, the other's a drug addict. And I think how sad and often people think, well, you know, you're grown men now, how could something in childhood affect you that much? Um, and that's a little bit how I've through, you know, therapy and support realized that, you know, those things that, you know, that, that core of who I was basically um, affected by those Catholic beliefs um, really, it's very hard to shake that off. Um, even though I'm, I'm loved and accepted by my family, my mum's very much a, was very much a Catholic, you know, and I'm not going to go too much into the Catholic and non-Catholic. I, I still am very um, grateful for that upbringing. And I've got a beautiful friend who's a priest. And funnily enough, I, when I first came out, I saw him sitting on a cliff um, just contemplating life. And it turned out that he'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And mm. we've got this wonderful relationship. He came to my 18th birthday and I was very drunk at that. <laughs> he, he was a beer drinking, swearing priest, not, not your average um, and he took me into his family home and he said, Alice, God loves you, always will. He said, there'll be a bunch of old priests that don't agree with you, but you are loved. Um, and, you know, he's one of my best friends. And so to me, I've, I've, I'm at peace with, with the, the world as far as that, that Catholic upbringing. I, I love all the other things that I got out of, you know, what, what I learned um, and the people that I, I uh, people that I love through that, through that Catholic world, but I do tend to go with with Father Richard and his belief that you know you got you are loved. So I don't go to church, but I, I certainly do. Um, I'm at uh, I've come to terms with yeah with 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 where that that's at, despite the challenges that it's caused me in my own journey. Mm, I love that so much. It's so beautiful. What mm. an incredible thing! Wow. Mm. So um, when you really started to, things started to kind of unravel for you and, and you started to, to take that control, what did, what did that feel like? What did that look like? When, when I got back control? Yeah, when, when sort of all the, you know, I guess unravel is the wrong word, but like when it started to kind of all make sense and you started to take back control. Yeah, well, it was, it was really, I'm trying to think what year, well, te, uh, Hello Sunday Morning, I think it's just not too long ago, celebrated 10 years. So it was in the very early days of that. And I'm not sure how I stumbled across the website, but I was just like, wow, this finally something that isn't AA, isn't rehab, isn't dark, dingy rooms. Um, and I sent an email to Chris just to thank him because I thought I was, he's not going to reply, but I just wanted to say thank you for finally something that's shifting the Australian culture and making it actually okay, almost cool to do that, as opposed to, you know, here, if you don't have a beer in your hand, there's trouble, especially if you're a male, you'll get, you know, punched and encouraged until you, you have one. Um, so, I, and he wrote back straight away. I thought, wow, what a, what a cool guy to, to actually, you know. Um, and then over time, 
we, you know, he then was coming down to Tasmania because he likes bushwalking and hiking. Um, and yeah, so then I met him and just what an incredible, I thought he could have just, you know, I guess worked on his own drinking, but instead he took a whole country with him. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, and then that led to the, I was checking out the book list and I was like, oh, This Naked Mind, that sounds interesting, great title. Um, and that's when it was the next kind of, whoa, bang in my face, this is it. Um, so I hopped on the, you know, the intensive program and I, I would love to say that spontaneous sobriety happened to me, but um, I still had slips along the way, but they were shorter and I could get on track much more quickly because I was starting to pinpoint what was driving my, my drinking. Um, but it wasn't, yeah, 2019, I walked out of rehab and said, this is theft. I was only just listening to your recent podcast. There was a lot of swear words. I thought, oh, I can swear, but yeah. I won't bother. Um, yeah, so it was really, I, I made this big decision. I was like, that's it. I'm going home. I'm going to hang out with my parents, um, which is not what you want to do. I went back to my childhood bedroom by the ocean where it all began, um, surrounded by, by tennis trophies. There, it, it wasn't what I wanted. I left a, a very you know, successful writing life for a tiny town. Um, but it was something my dad said because he was in the Navy and it was just a passing comment that about his the compulsory PT sessions that they had every morning followed by a cold shower because the hot would always run out by the time they went through. And I thought, wow, I've never given that dedication to my drinking recovery. I did in other areas of my life, but not, not I was like a fair weather person as far as you know, sometimes I'd give it up, then I'd set new rules, just beer, rules never worked. Um, but I thought, okay, I'm going to start these daily rituals. And I'm going to do every day without fail. And it was, it was, um, they became my little blueprint to wellness. And I think that was then the stretch of nine months. I had, um, I was hung over lying in bed when I was watching Netflix, as you do, and a Gwyneth Paltrow documentary on Wim Hof, the Wim Hof method came on. And I followed this, uh, the breathing technique of Wim Hof lying there hung over and I did the breath hold. And I was like, how can I hold my breath for this long? And I was just hooked because I thought I can't explain this. And you know, then that, oh, then I think it was 158 days straight of this cold water jumping in the ocean. Mm. Um, and for something, you know, I've grown up with a family of surfers and windsurfers and they do it all through winter. And I was always the one on the sand. But I'd always been looking for something that was a replacement for alcohol. And, you know, in rehab, I was encouraged to do mindful knitting. And I'm like, I'm not going to bring out my knitting needles before I've got a big meeting. Um, So for me, the cold water was the hit and the change of state and that feeling of euphoria that I guess I sought for alcohol. It had that level of um, excitement. You know, I've been, I've jumped in the ocean in the dark, in the rain, in the, um, and my mum's really embraced it. So we have wonderful fun together. So instead of being hungover, I'd have sunrises with, with mum. And um, it was just this complete transition into the life that I wanted. So cold water became part of my everyday, the breathing techniques. And I really didn't like meditation or mindfulness. I thought that's rubbish. I don't have time for that. It was, which is really just was avoiding getting to know me. So he also got me into that uh moment to you know just the breathing and and being comfortable in my own skin two liters of water so that for me was a reminder of every time I'd sip the water I knew that I wasn't drinking alcohol Uh, the three things I was grateful for I'd write down and then the Annie Grace so I did the uh, the three the intensive program at that time and then every day I'd do some dose of Annie so thank you for that So, but I kept I kept all these rituals really simple and short so that I knew every single day I could achieve them. So, yeah, to me, that was my turning point. And perhaps that was the time that I finally took responsibility. You know, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And I, I grabbed hold of that and thought, I've got to stop being the person that is getting rescued and getting shipped off to rehab. If you want the life that you want, you've got to put, put in some effort um, and found that it wasn't actually that hard. It was just... It was a beautiful ride in a way. So, um, yeah, when I when I compare that to the the fun and excitement that I thought I got from alcohol, which was a complete facade, I remember going back to seeing friends in America in New York City and was so excited to see them after ten years. This was only a couple of years ago that I drank before I saw them. I ended up in hospital, and that cost me overnight fourteen thousand Australian dollars. Like I've had 
all these times that were supposed to be wonderful moments that alcohol robbed me of my brother's wedding you know I had to say a prayer and I could barely say it um you know all these things that are really sad and I thought I can reflect and be down on losing 20 years worth of precious memories or I can change from this day on I think Tony Robbins I'm a big fan of his too and he said you know change can happen in a moment it might take 10 years to get to that moment mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm a big believer in you know as opposed to the rehab and that feeling of oh no it'll take you years you need to work on it for years and I don't I don't believe that I think when you're ready you can make that change in an instant um so yeah I love that all so much and I, I love that you shared I mean I think it's so important for people to hear that this is a journey it's it's not one undone you don't just engage with with something once it it does become a journey and then one day you look back and you're like wow look how far I've come. But, you know, we imagine that it's going to be this switch. And I, I really like how uh, Rob Bell describes this, where he, he talks about the difference between switches and seeds. And he's like, switches are the things that we're looking to feel better in the moment. We're just looking to flip the switch, right? And alcohol was obviously a switch for, for us. And we were just trying to flip the switch and feel better in the moment. But it doesn't actually produce anything lasting. And in fact, it can be very, very painful. And what you've just described, all of the things that you've just described, they're seeds. There's things that you do a little bit at a time and you plant them and you might not see an immediate switch. You know, you might not feel, aside from the jumping in cold water, you probably do feel a very significant switch with that, but, but you might not feel an immediate switch, you know, but you're just doing little by little and you're planting these seeds. And all of a sudden, one day you look back and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm under the shade of this incredibly beautiful, you know, tree. And I've, I've done this all myself. And it's just such a, such a cool journey. That's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. So will you tell us just for my own curiosity, because I've, I've heard of Wim Hof a few times, but I don't know very much. So breathing cold water, what else, what else is the, what's the tea on Wim Hof? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's mindset. I think there's three, yeah, there's the cold water, the breath work and the and mindset, which is like commitment. Um, and yeah, to me, it just really resonated. I, I I thought, well, without doubt, when I, you know, get out of the water, I feel amazing. It's not, there's plenty of times on a freezing winter morning at two degrees Celsius that it feels hideous. But you get out and you feel alive and there's all the other things as far as, um, you know, good for your immunity. And with COVID, it just felt like really cleansing as well because it's such a, um, yeah, challenging times for everyone. But I also didn't give myself an excuse. If I wasn't near the ocean, I'd just blast a cold shower or... Mm. Um, yeah, and the breathing, he's got this wonderful app and you just go through, you know, 30 deep breaths. And um, I've just had an incredible experience that with, um, I've just spent four days in, in the wilderness on a, a three capes walk with a Wim Hof instructor who was trained by Wim in, in the Netherlands. And he was incredible. He just um, talked us through what the breathing does and, and to letting go of the past and all these this these little unconscious messages where I was just like oh I can finally let go of all that baggage and pain and everything else um so yeah it's this beautiful um oh he we did submersion in the ocean as well as this cold plunge pool and we had 14 people on this trip and just to watch them change I, I had my little brother on it and his uh, I had a video of him on the first day and he'd never done Wim Hof and I could see him in the background with his arms folded, looking like, like a security guard as opposed to someone that couldn't wait to jump in the water. Um, but to watch him even across those four days engage with the, the Wim Hof method and, and be led by this Pete who was just so beautiful. He had this big beard and a big thick accent and everyone just followed him into the ocean like, you know, thinking, what the hell are we doing? Um, and they came out exhilarated. And then we walked along the coast for six k's to this beautiful lodge. And we had um, uh, these cocktails that had everything but the alcohol. And so we had that same sense of occasion, but without the, you know, it was really beautiful. There was not one person going, gee, I wish I had. And we're known for our beautiful wines. And usually by the long table dinner time, everyone's getting their wine. And even the, the guide leader said, this is amazing because we see people bonding and getting to know each other on these trips, but not in the authentic real way that all of you did. So um, yeah, really, really powerful stuff. And then we did journaling in the evening and things. So it was just, a, you know, 14 strangers that became much closer through, through the cold water, through that camaraderie of doing it together and the breathing, breathing in unison that, that 
also helps you reach a, a new place. So it was really amazing stuff. And I compare that to the trips I've done in the past where I've had my own bottle of wine in my backpack. Um, there's no comparison. Oh, I love that so much. I cannot wait to, to dig mm -hmm. into that more. It sounds just incredible. That's so, thank you for sharing that. I've, I've been curious, so that's awesome. What a cool thing to experience and just how amazing it is that we have so much of our senses available to us. And then alcohol, like what it does is it at its core is it dulls our senses. And we think that's such a great thing, but yes. like senses are how we experience the whole world, you know, and all of yes. it is, is sensory. And so, you know, for, yep. for everything is, I mean, alcohol dulls your sense of taste. You don't taste as well. It dulls your sense of touch. You don't feel touch as much. It dulls your sense of um, presence. You know, just, you don't even feel as present in your body or in the moment. And yeah, it's, it is mind blowing to me looking back and being like, why did I do that intentionally? But of course, where I was at in that journey was certainly not there. And it, it has been, you know, iter iterative in order to get from there to here. So it's just so cool. Well, thank you for that. That's awesome. Yeah, no, thank you. So um, let me ask you, Alice, the question that I, I sort of ask at the end, which is if you were going to go back in time and, and you know, talk to the Alice who was in 26 rehabs, really realizing that the 27th one certainly wasn't gonna do the trick and, you know, all of that, that journey that you just so kindly and generously shared with us from such a vulnerable perspective, and you would tell her what life is like with your obviously beautiful surroundings, amazing custom-made fireplace, your views of the ocean, um, you know, being back from this 14-day excursion, all of this stuff. What, what would you tell her about how life has turned out? Yeah, well, I think I would tell her just to, you know, I think well, that's a good question. I should have been prepared for this. Um, but I think I would tell her that, you know, she is loved and she doesn't need some external uh, crutch that is never actually going to deliver any, you know, it's like a best friend that just keeps walking the other way. Um, and I think, what do they say? The opposite of addiction is connection. And, and I bonded to the wrong thing. And I, I feel like if I could tell her to go back to you know, all the things she loved in the childhood and, you know, nature and all the senses that you just mentioned to, to hold on to that and know that that's the way forward, not any of this artificial, uh, you know, additive to your life that you feel is going to, to make things better. It's just such a, a surface. Um, it's, it's always going to end in uh, something that despite its promises, it's not going not gonna to get you anywhere. And I think to reach this end point, and, and that's another thing with this, uh, called it wild wellness, but, but following that path of, I don't want people to spend 20 years like I have. I want them to hop over that pain and hell to, to hopefully know that they can tap into things that don't cost a cent. You know, everyone's got cold water, everyone's got a shower. Yeah, yeah everyone's got a breath that they can do their breathing. Everyone can hop on and do your incredible this naked mind, all of this stuff is right there. And it took me years to find. Hello, Sunday morning, all these things. I've spent, you know, eight or $900 a day in rehab and most of the stuff you can go and, as you said, sit under the shade of a tree. It's all right there. Um, and often the answer's within yourself. And I was seeking it from well, one, from the external that I wanted to make sure everyone loved me, but also thinking someone's got to fix me. And that was the attitude of my family too. And a white coat was never going to fix me. It was finding my own way. And it, 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 it shouldn't, I, I, I wish it didn't take me two decades, but I also now feel this real, I guess, dedication to, if I can share something that's helped me, um, I, want to, I want to do it in a bigger way. Um, and I feel like with Hello Sunday Morning and This Naked Mind, I don't know how many times therapists and doctors have said, what is that? And they've ended up writing it down. Um, and I want more and more people to know, particularly here in Australia, because it's such a massive problem that we don't talk about because of the stigma, because of the shame, when really, you know, there's a whole lot of mums out there that are doing it just as their own therapy and getting up and feeling like crap. Um, there's other ways. And, and I found my, my path and I, I just want to share it with, doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I, I do feel like it's, it's my way out and, and that true freedom that I've, I've always looked for. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I feel that, you know, that is really the journey and, and we should always share before we're perfect because that is an impossible goal. It's never going to happen. And so I just like that so much. And if anybody's listening and they want to do the free 
um, this Naked Mind content. It's always free at alcoholexperiment.com or on the app store. So you can certainly join that. And yeah, I just think what you said uh, that I want to touch on is that idea of finally finding the, the inner voice. I, I think there's nothing more important than that. You know, we were actually on vacation last week and we were all sitting around a table and, and somehow it came up like, okay, if you could teach your, your kids one thing, just one thing that you could teach them, but they would know this one thing, what is it that you would teach them? And my, my answer was that I would teach them to trust themselves, that I would teach them mm -hmm. to trust their own voice more than any other voice. And, um, mm -hmm. and I think that's so true. Like we all just have so much wisdom inside of ourselves and, and the, the whole world is going to tell us that, you know, one way or another, we're not good enough and, and we are not to be trusted and we're not to be listened to. And if, if more people just listened and trusted that inner voice, I think it would be a very different place. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and funnily enough, I, there was a very popular book when I was playing tennis, it was called the inner game of tennis. And that is actually was the catalyst for NLP. And I do a lot of, I've got an NLP coach as well. And, and all of that language and, and also exactly trusting your inner voice. And I spent all my time trusting the people external to me, thinking I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm following the path that is, you know, the right path. And it never, ever, you know, got me to freedom. And when I finally said, no, stuff this, I, I know the path that I'm, I need to be on. Um, that's where I found found my answers and, and found found that freedom and 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 that's what I yeah now feel a, such a passion to share and and again I think a lot of people feel like oh look I need a lot of money to get well or I need a you know or I've got to take two weeks off work and I can't do that I don't have time in my life to do that and that's what I want a bit like you have got the little recipe of my freedom um with with little online courses and things that people can do from anywhere that don't it doesn't doesn't have to cost it doesn't have to take time um the, but those little steps and those habitual things that you do each each day then become your life and suddenly you look back and go oh my gosh what a shift um and i and i'm delighted to see that big cultural shift of you know the the alcohol free bars in you know paris and new york and now in melbourne like Things are happening. It's it's taken a long time, but but finally now I think people can can say no thanks to a drink without being looked at sideways, which is it's really really exciting. But it's people like yourself and like Chris Rain that that have given us, I guess, permission to to take that path um, with with a lot more confidence. And and then people go, what is your secret? And I think that's you know I'm never going to be this advocate to telling people not to drink but I think people do start to get curious I know in my life of like what what are you doing differently um and 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 I think even the doctors are looking at you know in Scotland they're prescribing nature often it's just outside your back door it's um it's not getting another script and you know we need scripts for certain things and for mental health and things but I've found my wellness is just yeah it, it's right there to, to grab um and being surrounded by people that are on that same path makes it a lot more enjoyable um, yeah, and, and rewarding. So that's mm. amazing. So where can people find you if they want to learn more and engage in some of your amazing retreats or your courses or any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, I've got it on, on social media and on the website, the, the wild, wildwellnessmethod.com. Um, so, and that's another thing through Chris Rain being the lovely fellow that he is, he said, you should talk to Dr. Chris in Sydney. And, and he was supposed to come to a retreat in September, but of course, Sydney's in crazy lockdown. But Dr. Chris is an addiction specialist. Um, he's, he's created Clean Slate, the Clean Slate program, which is um, did really well in the UK and he's just launched it here in Australia. And that's a fantastic um, system that keeps people out of the hospital system. Uh, it's a home detox. And, and he was just like Chris Rain, um, so willing to, to support my cause and said, yeah, I'd love to come to Tassie and run these, you know, I, I do, you know, these multi-day walks and, and lodge-based retreats. And without even questioning, you know, usually a doctor will say, well, no, I need to see all the content. I need to see, he was like, yes, I want to help you. And the amount of people that I've since talked timidly, like I'm doing this thing called wild wellness. I think Tasmania is the best place in the world to do it. We're the last wild frontier. You know, you, you can't help but feel good when, you know, walking in those trees along the Australia's highest sea cliffs the last few days. It just hits you that 
you know, often if you're looking for that inner voice, you're going to hear it there. Um, so to have the support of not just, you know, that I'm not a doctor, I knew I needed, you know, the credibility of a doctor, I've got NLP coach, personal trainer, all the things that the, a collective of people that are on the same, you know, haven't even tapped into exercise, but I know these are Taekwondo that you, yeah. you do. Yeah. yeah. And that was another funny thing. I got mixed up between Taekwondo and Tai Chi and I <laughs> took my, I took my mum and dad, dad's just turned 75. I took them thinking it was kind of slow movement. Um, <laughs> not like uh, kicks as high as your head, but um, no, I think you find, find those, you know, that physical exercise as well is just another thing that all the things I was looking for in alcohol, that kit and that, you know, energy or whatever else it might be, I found in, yeah, physical movement and um, the cold water and a lot more healthy, healthy options than what I was turning to. I love that so much. Well, it's just been awesome. It's been so good to get to know you, Alice. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey oh. and sharing your story. It's just absolutely oh. amazing. No, thank you, Annie. And I read an email of yours the other day about someone that said literally saved my life. And, and I would have to say the same for you because it was between Hello Sunday Morning and your work. Um, yeah, I've, I've come close, but I've, I've also got, you know, that pathway out um, was very much led by um, your work. So, and um, your and, and sharing so honestly and bravely yourself um, in some very vulnerable places with, you know, those last scenarios with, with your drinking and, and until people talk and speak up like you have um, it, it gives permission for other people to do so so thank you oh you're so welcome and I'm so glad are you ready for a deep dive and truly lasting change if so you might consider my intensive program it's a nine-week self-led program that you can do in the complete comfort of your own home and it will truly transform your relationship with alcohol if you want to learn more about this go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash intensive and as always rate review and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today